Captain's Log, Stardate 74400.5. After returning to the station, we've refocused ourselves as a crew. Weeks of training and preparation has led to this, and I find myself thinking I was ready for anything. My first officer tells me not to take things personally, however, it's hard to be objective when facing an ordeal such as this. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to Time Well Spent. Another adventure here on the podcast on These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain and Captain Chase McKinney, and I am joined by my XO, Lieutenant Commander Eric, is hanging out with me today in the brig. How's it going, Eric? That brig, I don't know if it's big enough for both of us to spend an entire month in. I'm saying you're in the brig. Oh, I'm in the brig. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. you're not. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's fine. It's big enough for me. I can live in the brig. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I've lived in some pretty small apartments in my day. You know, <laughs> you and me both, man. You <laughs> and me both. Dude, like, oh, man. The the first apartment that I was in was in, where was that? Um, on my own was in Davison, Michigan. You know where Davison's at, don't you? You lived in Davison? I did. I lived in Davison. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't oh, remember. I didn't know that. I don't remember the name of the street, but I know it was um, almost towing the line between Davison and Burton for the most part, if I'm remembering this right. Um, okay. But I was I was right near um, the mire off of what was that 475? Does that sound right? Or yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, there's a there was a mire in Davison, Michigan, near 475. For any of my my Michiganders that are listening and have any any idea where that's at, but um, I think it was called like Charter Oaks, which is like I think coincidentally like a deli company, also. Okay. But yeah, I lived there, and I mean, you're you're spoiled, you know, before. You know, when you're living with your parents and everything, and you know you have like a washer and a dryer, you know, in the in the facility, in you know, in the home, and not only do you not have a washer and dryer, but you do not have a washer and dryer inside. It's outside, so you have to go in the outside when it's cold in Michigan, with your laundry basket and a roll of quarters. Now we did get a little Gucci a little bit later on, and we we added on a card reader. Come on, somebody. Yeah, I remember one apartment that I lived in. We had you had to put money on the card reader, but like the entire complex, it was like a complex, and there was like part of it on one side of the road, part of it on the other, and there was the one laundry facility, and it was on like the opposite end of the complex, and I, I had to drive there, like because I had to like go yeah. around, go out, <laughs> and like around and this way, and it's like it was like tough to do laundry to like. Mm-hmm schlep slep your laundry hamper and then drive down there and then drive back mm-hmm. and then wait 45 minutes and then drive back <laughs> sounds about right 
But like, the th I think the thing that was nice about Charter Oaks, I think that was the name of it again. Um, I think like the, it was like, I think every building or every other building had like a laundry facility in it. So, um, so it kind of worked out. It kind of worked out. And um, um, I, I was a member of ELGA, E-L-G-A Credit Union um, up there. And I, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just like it accepted all credit uh, debit, you know, readers and stuff. Or if it was just like you got like a laundry card card, right? Um, or you could use your, your ELGA credit union thing to be able to pay for your laundry. I'm like, well, this is cool. If like one, if one don't work, I can use the other one. This is cool. So anyway, I had a really tiny one when I moved to Texas too in Midland man I mean everyone I mean yeah it was it was like 600 ish square feet it was a tiny little thing with a with a stackable washer and dryer so I was moving on up man I had that stackable washer and dryer in the unit come on now nice nice I have a question though yes in the brig where's the toilet well, don't you I know? don't I don't remember seeing one in the brig anywhere. Well, don't you know, man? I mean I mean it's it's the future. No one poops or pees in the future. Okay, where's the sonic shower? I don't remember seeing that in the brig. Cuz man, 30 days in the brig without a sonic shower? Don't come around me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's pretty, it's it can get pretty rank and raunchy. That'd be pretty ripe, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, no, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's like it's like a hideaway. Like you, like you know, do something. Like you pull like your 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 bunk out and like you you press a button and it turns into like Is a commode like or something. In the in the fifth element, right? When you know, like he's got the the fridge and then it like goes up and then it comes down and then there's the shower on top of the fridge. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's the answer. I think we've solved okay. life's mystery. We, that's life's biggest mystery. Absolutely. <laughs> Where's the bathroom and the shower <laughs> in the brig? Oh, good grief. Well, everyone, if this is your first time listening, um, welcome to the show. Um, if the title didn't give it away today, uh, we are going to be talking about an episode of Star Trek Voyager called 30 Days. And... Um, you know, with this show, we just talk about Trek. We just talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about, and we and we try and have some fun doing it. Uh, there's a lot of shows out there where they do episode by episode, uh, like recaps. You know, like they go through every single um, episode of Star Trek ever released in chronological order. There are others that focus solely on books and going through like Star Trek literature, and we're like, you know. Let's just talk about Trek and see where it takes us. So that's that's the show. That's uh, where we go. So if you have an idea um, for something that you'd like for Eric and I or David and I or myself and whomever to talk about, just send us a note and we'll tell you how to get in contact with us um, at the end. But um, really before we talk about 30 days, um, Eric, we've been around each other making the, the recording, like on the recording circuit a lot lately. Um, I mean, for, for the listeners, it's been like a couple of days and breaks and 
stuff and weeks, you know, here and there. But for you and I, man, like, we've been cranking these recordings out like cray-cray. You know? Yeah, it's it feels like feels like a job almost. Just like, all right, another day, another podcast. Gotta gotta get on the grind. More microphone action, yeah. Oh man. Well, um, I posted this in I posted it in the group recently, uh, but in case you didn't see it, uh, we do have some shirts and some merch and some some stuff in the Facebook group that you can go check out. Uh, there's links. Um, in the comments for how to get to the respective pages. Um, just check them out and uh, get some sweetie, sweetie swag and uh, rep the podcast. Um, but apart from like t-shirts and wondering where the commode is, what has been going on in your world, Eric? Uh, well, the semester just ended for for me. So... I had to grade some finals here, which is never any fun. It's, it's easier to grade the finals than it is to grade other tests mm. because I'm not handing them back to students, so I don't have to, like, put as much, like, work into grading them, like, comments on their papers because they're never going to get them back. So it's a little easier, but they're longer. Mm. So there's that trade-off. But now I have – I'm off until – like, I'm off for, like, four or five weeks it's kind of nice because well i mean it's been a strange year 2020 for for everybody right for everybody but um it was weird because one when classes got basically shut down in person classes back in march when we went to full online it was a lot of work to switch my classes over from in class to online and I ended up working a lot more than I would normally. And then I taught over the summer. Normally would get like a nice summer break and get summer off. But I taught over the summer and I had to put a lot of work into those classes. I was taught four classes over the summer. Mm. And so a lot in a condensed space. So that was a lot of work. So I haven't really had a break. And I, I lost my spring break because that was right when when we were changing everything over with COVID. So I didn't get the break then. So, you know, I'm used to getting breaks in my work schedule here. And they all got taken away from me this year. <laughs> so I deserve this four or five week break here. I deserve it. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of like the same thing for, for me, too. Um, we, we, we had to do something at Regent uh, where... You know, because we have both online and, you know, traditional on-campus students, uh, we normally we have, I think it's called like a reading week break, something like that. It's going to happen like around early to mid-October for us. And we didn't get that. And that's, you know, you're, you're supposed to use that week to, to read and do work. No one ever does it, by the way. And as a result we we ended we just ended on i guess friday or saturday of the first week of of december um because following thanksgiving we were having we were meet the on-campus students were meeting um in person up through that week prior to thanksgiving but if you lived in the dorms you weren't allowed to come back 
because they were trying to, you know, protect from like spreading COVID and, and things of that nature. So we lost a week, like we lost our week off and then, um, we had, everyone went to online. I was, I'm already online, so it doesn't matter to me. Uh, but then we ended like basically two weeks early compared to normal. So I'm kind of there too, where I get like four five, six weeks off and I'm like, man, what am I going to do with all that time? You know, like read a book or read read ca- several books. Catch a butterfly or something. I don't know. Butterflies aren't around. <laughs> Catch up on your Netflix, your Amazon Prime. There's yeah. a show that you've been dying to watch. Now you've got the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of shows, um, so my wife and I, we were on a date night recently. And, uh, you know, we, we checked out this Italian joint near the house that we'd never been to. Like, the, our normal Italian place, it's it's near us, but we're, like, far from everything for the most part. Uh, I mean, it's, like, it's like 10, 15 minutes down the road, so it's really not that big of a deal. Maybe 20. Um, but we found this, this other place, like, actually in town. We're like, hey, let's go check that out. And we did that. We went to um, a toy store. And just like looked around at all those like these vintage toys and and things like that. Came home, we watched Christmas Vacation, and I laughed so hard at Christmas Vacation. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies, but my wife's not too crazy about it. She's like, it's kind of funny, but it's just not her cup of tea. That's fine. But as we're laying down and we're going to bed um, after the, after all this is said and done. Um, I'm telling her, like, I'm just thinking, for some reason, I'm thinking of, like, the Gilmore Girls theme song. And I'm like, hun, I re- guys, I realize this is a Star Trek podcast, but I'm like, hun, have you realized how how similar, like, Gilmore Girls is to the Mandalorian? And, like, I had, like, this whole thought about, like, where you lead, I will follow, you know? And just have that <laughs> kind of go, that little thought going on. And, uh, Anyway, so I, I, man, <laughs> man that Carol King, that sh- I know she doesn't sing the sing the version on the Gilmore Girls, but she wrote that, and it's on her album Tapestry, which is, um, not only the best Picard moment for me, but Tapestry is by Carol King. Check out that album; it is straight fire. That album, it okay. is amazing. Okay. Like every you're like I know that song I know that song I know that song. <laughs> it's 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 pretty amazing. Well, anyway, yeah. So here's a little here here's a little sampling. Wanting you the way I do. Original. I remember um, back in high school coming home at the end of the day um, and turning on the family channel. I, I can't remember. It used to, 
was it ABC Family or was it Fox Family? It was called both, but I think it was ABC Family at this point. And yeah, their at that, afternoon at that point lineup, was, yeah. their afternoon lineup was amazing. It was like Boy Meets World, Step by Step, Gilmore Girls, and then Seventh Heaven, mm-hmm. like all in a row. I think there was one. I think I'm missing one in there. But man, <laughs> it was that lineup was amazing. You just turn it on, like in the background, or watch it and do some homework or mm-hmm. something. That was all. That's how I got into Gilmore Girls because I didn't really know what it was, and it just came on these reruns, and I was like, find myself paying more attention to the TV watching that than doing whatever I was supposed to be doing. Right, right, and um, I didn't watch Gilmore Girls growing up because of the title Gilmore Girls. I'm like, this is a girl show. Like, I'm not gonna watch it. I mean, it, I mean that was just me, and then my. Um, so my wife started watching Gilmore Girls, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, she just, like, binged Gilmore Girls. Like, I think she binged it, like, maybe two or three times. And then, of all people, check this out. So, I don't know if, I, I doubt my cousin listens to this, but my cousin Elmer, um, he's a Marine, by the way. Like, he's a gunny. He's a gunnery sergeant. And um, Brother Man loves him some Gilmore Girls loves Gilmore Girls and I'm like dude okay if if a, if my marine cousin can get behind some Gilmore Girls and like gush about it I need to check this out and dude I ended up watching some Gilmore Girls and my wife was kind of surprised how fast I was watching Gilmore Girls um I mean I was like I was watching the heck out of it so um I think this is this is probably what we're probably more used to. That's probably about the same thing. Oh man, come on now. Why are you doing that to me? I was trying to just get the actual TV one. But it's fine. It's fine. No big deal. I'm not hurt. It's whatever. <laughs> but. Oh wait, here we go. Let's try this. There we go. I just want to sing it right now, but I won't. Anyway, I, I so my my I love me some Gilmore Girls. My wife and I we people know this about us. We go to um, comic cons, and y- you know that too, Eric. That we'll go to comic cons when there's you know, not a pandemic going on. And a couple of years back, uh, just before the Gilmore Girls uh, revival that happened, you know, like on Netflix, the the year in the life that happened. Um, yeah. Four I got four years ago. Oh, Think about that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got I, I had like a bunch of plaid shirts and I had a bunch of other stuff. So I dressed up as Luke. My wife dressed up as Lorelai and we went to con together. But on the day of A Year in the Life coming out, uh, we had folks come over and I cooked for everyone. So I was Luke all day. I cooked for everyone in the kitchen. <laughs> I had my hat on backwards. I had my plaid on, a little you know, pencil in my ear and, uh, and made a bunch of food, made a bunch of coffee. And it was, it was a great time. But the way that we got on this sidetrack was this thought that I had laying, laying down. And Eric, I was telling you about this a little bit pre-show and I think... I've posted this on, on some of my accounts, 
but the fact that there's like I see a similarity between Mandalorian and Gilmore Girls for crying out loud. If you can't see it, what are you blind? I mean, Mando and Baby Yoda for crying out loud. Mando and Gro- Grogu. So what do I do? What do I do? Well, I do me. So I I went ahead and I made me a little Mandalorian Gilmore Girl inspired opening credits. So if you're interested, I'll post the link somewhere and you can you can give it a look. Of all, of all the things to like do in your free time when you could do anything, like I'm going to make a fan video of Mandalorian opening credits with with Where You Lead by Carol King as the theme song. <laughs> like, of all the things you could do, like that's the thing you chose. Yeah, well, you know. Hey, I, I if I knew how to do video editing, I might do something like that. <laughs> I'll just say that Adobe Premiere Pro is the bomb.com. I love using it. And um, anyways, Adobe if you're, Adobe if you're listening. Just saying I'm here. I'm here for you. Oh, man. Well, enough about Gilmore Girls. I would love to talk about Gilmore Girls. There's already a Gilmore Guys podcast out there somewhere. But uh, that's not us. We're not talking about Gilmore Girls today. But maybe we can figure out how to like weave it into this episode some way, somehow. Um, so, um, I guess we should probably actually talk about Star Trek. Now... Um, with with this particular episode, um, I had actually given Eric a couple different um, ideas of some stuff that I wanted to talk about today, like three or four different episodes, and we ended up landing on this one. He's like, "I like all of them. You pick one." I'm like, "Dad, come it, dude." And well, hey, you you sent you sent a pretty good list. You sent me four episodes, and I'm like, "Those are all good episodes." Like, <laughs> I'll go, I'll watch and talk about any one of those. Right. And for anyone um, wondering what those four were, we'll eventually get to them, perhaps, like in our, our one-episode adventures like we're doing right now. It was, uh, what, Court Martial, The First Duty. It was, um, of course, 30 Days. And then, and then uh, from Deep Space Nine, it was Hard Time. And um, Hard Time is the one where, you know, Chief O'Brien is forced to virtually essentially simulate it's a simulation of him serving like a life sentence basically and um, yeah it's a, it's a good solid O'Brien must suffer episode absolutely it really is <laughs> yeah it might be like O'Brien the, the like the number one O'Brien must suffer episode <laughs> when you consider what he, what he goes through um, anyway I, I was I was just thinking about how how some of our our discussions have been going on engage and maybe like kind of linking it in a little way like with how we see kind of discipline um kind of playing out um on these other shows i mean like um of course we see kirk captain kirk with like the court martial episode of course and then we see the relationship between picard and wesley in the first duty and then like we were just saying um o'brien and like the accusation and the, the 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 simulated sentence and um anyways voyager i think this one has like a really good um strong i think it's a pretty strong story for the most part and how it's done and um there's some 
perhaps interesting things that went into um, the development of 30 Days, uh, which is a Tom Paris um, storyline. Um, in terms of like the ensemble cast, it's definitely a Tom Paris story. So when we when we're just a quick little snippet about 30 Days. So Tom Paris is demoted to ensign and is sentenced to 30 days in the brig for disobeying orders. While serving time in the brig, Tom writes a letter to his father about the events that led to his demotion. Um, and I think it's interesting that with this, that the Tom Paris thing was almost, it, it was essentially added in kind of after the fact because there was this story, this story was pitched originally as like this ocean planet and it was like kind of done and over with in like 30 minutes. And they're like, well, what should we do like with the other 10 to 12 minutes that we have to fill? So um, I don't know if you knew that or not, Eric. I didn't know that. I, I mean, I think that's kind of strange seeing as how like it, it just makes sense to have all this extra Tom Paris stuff in there. I can't imagine like writing this episode and, and you know, Tom's, you know, adventures on the ocean planet how you could have that without having like the tom paris in the brig and writing the letter stuff it just seems like they have to be together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh, um robert duncan mcneil he was uh wanting to advocate for um tom going back to more of a of like the rebellious kind of like wild man that he was earlier on and kind of bringing that back out so that was kind of how what they were trying to do with this and I think it was done very very well I thought it was very well done um, in terms of what they did with with Tom's character in this standalone episode yeah it's interesting because you know when we first meet Tom Paris you know he's in prison or he's in a, a labor camp essentially and Janeway you know gets him out to go help track down the Maquis that he used to be part of. And, you know, he's pretty much been a model citizen um, on Voyager, the, like, the entire time. And by the time we get here, we're in season... We're almost in the middle of season five. And, like, there was there was this storyline in season two where he was, like, being rebellious and standing up to Chakotay, but it was really him, like, going undercover to try and find a mole on the ship. But, like... You know, it's interesting that you say that Robert Duncan McNeil was pushing for like that more rebellious um, side of Tom Paris because, like I said, he's been a good model citizen and a good officer like mm-hmm. the entire time. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I mean I don't know what his his rationale was other than he was just wanting to maybe reexamine more of who. I mean, who his character is or, or was. Um, and maybe he was looking at it as a way of, you know, his character maybe getting kind of stale or stagnant. So, like, let's kind of, you know, revive him this way. And, I mean, I thought it worked. Yeah, and I think one of the most important and interesting aspects of Tom Paris's character is that he's an admiral's son. And that he, like is this rebellious guy and joined the Maquis and went to jail all the while, you know, his dad is an admiral of Starfleet Mm -hmm. and they always clashed against each other. And 
it was always his dad saying he's not good enough and you know just like like i think this is probably a thing for a lot of children that have parents in places of authority is they tend to be rebellious mm-hmm. well let me ask you this uh maybe this is a per- like a personal question but you know your your parents um growing up like legal profession i mean do you feel like you had like a, a like a, maybe you could relate in a way to what tom may have been going through with having like an admiral as a father no i i because I, I never saw my parents as being you know people in positions of authority like you would see a police officer or or a principal or something like that. So, yeah, my, both my parents were lawyers, but I guess I just never never thought of them as, like, authority. Other than, like, your parents are authority figures. Sure. I didn't see them as having authority outside of just the role of being parents. Sure. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just think it's, um, it's interesting, like, how we see, like, one profession over the other. Like you were just saying, like, um, you know, police officers, sheriffs, deputies, whatever, you know, like, yeah, they arrest us. They pull us over if we, if we done mess up, you know, but you know, lawyers, attorneys, whatever we call them, they're the ones that like bring down the justice. I mean, the other folks, they write the tickets, but the lawyers, man, they, they make it, you know, worth your while or not worth your while, so to speak. So that's, that's an interesting take just hearing you talk through that. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, Tom has um, um, an admiral, Admiral Paris, um, um, as his father, and I like the exploration that kind of that that they do that takes place um, in this episode. Um, at, at one point, where they're talking about what Tom wanted to do, and this is like in part of like the flashback while he's in the, um, and I know we're jumping all over the place, and that's okay, but. Um, he's in the ready room with um, with Janeway talking about how he wanted to, you know, do more of like the naval stuff, like with the Federation um, that he didn't want to go into Starfleet. He was enamored with like seafaring um, adventures and stories of like really old Earth history. And that's what he wanted to do with his life. But his father's like, no, I know better you need to do this. What, what were your thoughts, maybe kind of hearing that part of, of the conversation that um, he, that Tom was having with Janeway regarding his father? Well, I would say, first of all, who doesn't love the ocean and the sea? That's That fascinates everybody. I think I think when you're a kid and you, you read or listen to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, I don't know anybody who doesn't like that story as a kid. I mean, I love that. Um, and... I don't know who doesn't love going to the aquarium. Like, I love going to the aquarium. Um, who, everyone loves Star Trek Four, the one with the whales, because it's the sea life. Like, everyone loves that. So, like, to me, that part, like, I, I totally got that. Like, I want to be out on the sea, and I want to do all these high seas adventures and all that fun stuff. Um, I feel like with the other part, like, father knows best, right? Um, I feel like there are a lot of people who are in that situation and feel like they are forced into one profession that maybe they don't want to because they feel like they have to and their parent is telling them 
Like, I know what's best for you. Mm-hmm. So that feels really real to me. And the fact that that is relevant now and is still something that could potentially happen in 400 years, I find interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my... Um, I'm trying to think back, you know, as we talk about, like, father knows best. Uh, my dad's a welder. I mean, like, growing up, my dad dad was a welder. Now he's not. He's the the manager of a, of a shop um, where he oversees welders and people that do dying and all sorts of like crazy skilled trade stuff that I can't even dream about. And there was never an expectation that I was going to follow in his footsteps and be a welder. And quite frankly, I don't want to. I've never had a desire to do that. Um, my mom was a bookkeeper and, um, I think like most parents, again, I'm painting with broad strokes. I think a lot of parents probably have like those dreams of like, Oh, my son or daughter, the doctor, the lawyer, the whatever. Right. And, um, I felt very fortunate that my mom was a champion for whatever the heck interested me. And, you know, for a long time, um, I wanted to be an oceanographer. And part of that had to do with Titanic. And I knew everything there was to know about Titanic. And I identified, like, oceanography schools that I wanted to go to at one point. And um, anyways, I'm not an oceanographer, guys. For those of you that don't know me, I'm not an oceanographer at all. But um, there was no expectation put on me. And maybe kind of staying in this same vein with again with your parents being lawyers was there any kind of expectation or pressure for you or your brother maybe to be lawyers or go into the legal profession at all not that i can remember at all and um the law was never something that interested me anyway so like if there was like some kind of pressure or push for me to go into that it would have gotten some strong pushback. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is not that like something that interests me at all. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm a that's po- a lot of that's a lot of work. I'm a poli sci graduate, but I have zero interest in in that. And I think a lot, just like biology, and um, I guess biology is like you know, like your path to like med school, generally speaking, poli sci is usually your path to like law school. And I had zero interest in going to law school. Zero. (laughs) Zero. Goose egg, y'all. Goose egg. So, um, all right. Well, where are we at? Where are we at? Okay. So stuff happens. So Eric, can you give us like, like we've kind of been jumping all over the place, like kind of picking up on like a few storylines kind of like with, with Paris, but can you kind of give us like the, the maybe the A plot? Would you consider the the Ocean Planet the A plot? Yeah, that's that's the A plot. Okay. I think. Could you just kind of give us like the highlights of the story relating to this Ocean Planet that's kind of driving this story uh, for thirty days for us? Yeah. So the Voyager on their travels home, they encounter this 
giant ocean in space. Like, how cool is that? I mean, I know a giant ocean in space probably couldn't exist. It would have to have some icy crust around it, but that's fine. Giant ocean in space, like a planet. Like a, like a planet, but it's an ocean, and they go in to investigate, and some ships fly out of the ocean and start firing on them and say, hey, this ocean is ours, and Janeway does her thing and says, hey, we're explorers. We, we want to learn about you if, if you're willing and share some cultural things. And so they start to open a dialogue and we learn that um, this ocean planet, these people who are living underneath this ocean have been there for three, four hundred years, something like that. They're not native to it. They, they didn't create it. But that... Um, there's some problems going on with this ocean and it's it's losing containment and it's like losing mass and it's getting smaller and they can't these people they can't get down deep enough into the ocean to explore why so tom paris says hey i i want to go down in this ocean and explore so they they equip the delta flyer to fly down into this ocean and they learn that basically the mining operation these people are mining like oxygen and and other nutrients out of the water mm -hmm. to sustain their civilization that lives under here and it's their mining practices that are like causing the problems with this containment field and so tom paris and voyager are trying to convince these people that hey if you don't change your ways you're gonna lose this ocean and these people are basically like all right, whatever you say, you know, give us your work and be on your way, and we'll just stick this in a desk and never look at it again. Basically, yeah, yeah, and and that is and that's really what ends up driving uh, driving Paris to do what he does is the fact that he's not willing to let really well enough alone like let let this society let the civilization you know do their own thing and and that's the the main the main thing like with with what we know about star trek is you know we, we give people this information but it's ultimately up to them with what they choose to do with it and we have to like kind of not interfere and in this case, Tom is not cool with that. Not cool with that at all. Um, there's just something about this story, um, and I think maybe it has to do with the fact of like the whole, you know, twenty thousand leagues under the sea and all the ocean stuff that he grew up loving as a kid. That's kind of making this more personal for him. And I think that's the thing. Like when when we look at stories in Star Trek where where it becomes really personal you have you're like that much closer to the edge of like doing something really really good or something horribly wrong and this is definitely one of those horribly wrong kind of moments that we see happen yes it definitely is um and there's the scene where they're discussing this in the in the in the observation lounge, the briefing room, whatever you want to call it. Great, great sitting around a conference table talking scene, right? Which Check. you know I love those. Check mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna like this episode if we got that. Um, where I actually think that 
Janeway gives Tom Paris a lot of of rope in this scene. Like, there are people out there. There's this thing out there like Janeway the tyrant, right? Well, it's like there's there's the right way and there's the Janeway, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. But and and where whatever she says goes, and like when they're saying okay hey you're you're causing these problems um and f- f- give it tell it to this guy and he'll write a report and and Tom well, who's going to read that report and i don't think you understand what the problem is and if you don't change your and like she really lets him like go for longer than you would normally think Janeway would mm. because because she can tell that this is important to him and that he's really passionate about this and and like after everyone leaves um she even says that to him she says i appreciate your passion and your ideals on this situation but when i say cut it off you cut it off right and you know janeway is not always known for letting people always like speak their minds she will shut you down pretty quickly if she needs to and i think we see that happen even in this episode, especially when, you know, Tom kind of goes rogue um, and he takes, um, you know, he takes one of the the, the folks with him, um, played by um, Willie Garson. Is that his name? Yeah, Willie Garson. Um, who I think is a fairly popular, I mean, I think he's a fairly popular recurring, like, kind of guest um, actor on a lot of shows. I mean, I, I read somewhere that I mean, actually, not even read, but I remember Willie from Boy Meets World. He was the um, assistant manager um, for Corey's dad, who was um, who ran a grocery store. I don't know if you remember that at all. No, no, I don't know that. Um, but I mean, he was also um, on Stargate SG One, another yep, sci-fi he, show. He, he was the, created the Wormhole Extreme because he was an actual <laughs> alien. <laughs> And he was also on Sex in the City. Like, if you've ever seen Sex in the City, he was a, a pretty regular recurring character there. Um, so yeah, like you, you will know him if you see him. Um, but yeah, I mean, for anyone that's seen Stargate SG One, that remembers anything about like early Boy Meets World, um, I mean, he shows up early, like in season like one and two, I want to say, of Boy Meets World. Uh, for any of my 90s babies out there. Um, but yeah, like what I was saying is I think you see the the Janeway the tyrant, air quotes, right? Um, really at the end where like I'm going to, no, 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 you are not allowed to speak anymore. Like your, your, um, your privilege, your, your protection as, as a crew member, it's, no, it's, it's over with. Like you've yeah, stepped way the heck over the line. Yeah, because uh, they they have to like stop him from shooting and blowing up this this reactor. And uh, Harry Kim's like, "This is Tom. We're not gonna fire on him." And she's like, "No, we're going to because he's crossed a line here." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thirty days. Thirty. Tom is sentenced to 30 days in the brig for taking matters into his own hands. Not only is he sentenced to 30 days in the brig for taking matters into his own hands, 
but he is demoted from Lieutenant JG, Lieutenant Junior Grade, to an ensign. And he's put in solitary confinement with a very basic TV dinner for 30 days. What do you think about that decision that Janeway makes for what happened in this particular episode? Well, first of all, I would I would say that this I don't think this is solitary confinement um, because um, Neelix when Neelix comes to deliver his food, he gets to talk to Neelix for a while. Um, you know, the doctor comes and he, he tries to like talk to the doctor a bunch and uh, she allows Harry Kim to come and visit like once after like 20 days or something like that. And, you know, there's always the guard standing by that he can like pretend to talk to. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this classifies as solitary confinement, but, you know, 30 days in the brig. Sure. Right. Um, I guess I, th- I think it's a fine punishment. I mean, I don't know, like, what else Janeway could have done. She can't send him back to the Federation and let him take care of him. Um, and I also think that Janeway looks at at Tom Paris as her own little project you know she got him out of jail she gave him this other chance and you know she's been you know grooming him back into being a really good officer I think he has been a really good officer and there's even that point in season two when he's on this undercover mission that Chakotay doesn't know about where Chakotay's like like I don't want to discipline him right now like I should because He's been kind of your pet project. You know, Jane, you know, Chakotay says that to Janeway. And so I think Janeway, you know, she takes the step here. And I think, it's, I think it's an okay step. I think both things, like, you know, he'll understand the severity. But I think Janeway doesn't want to punish him too hard mm. because she doesn't want to shut him down because mm-hmm. she still thinks very highly of him. and And she's still very happy with the progress that he's made since the start of this show yeah yeah and and like the whole solitary confinement thing that's just based on what she says in the beginning you know um i wouldn't i wouldn't consider it solitary by any means i mean you're the 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 security officer isn't doing dink you know he's standing yeah yeah he or she's standing whoever's on on shift at the time right um over there at their terminal but they're not like holding a phaser up, you know, saying, shut up, be quiet. I yeah. mean, and, and you can see him too. It's not like there's like a closed metal door and you can't see anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he's allowed to have um, a pad for re- writing a, a letter, re- you know, you know, dictating a letter to his father. Um, so yeah, it was. It's a very interesting solitary confinement, uh, with with what's going on, and can we just go somewhere for a second? And in terms, I mean, I, I kind of teased it a little bit. You know, we've been hearing about, um, like discussions on not even just not just discussions, just but what we've been viewing in more recent episodes of. Um, Star Trek, uh, with Star Trek Discovery specifically, and I guess maybe even to a certain extent with um, Lower Decks as well. Like we we have like this Kurtzman era Trek, um, 
And it just seems like discipline is like there's just like maybe two schools of thought on Star Trek, like starship discipline, so to speak. And maybe we can kind of hang out in that area talking about Tom Paris and maybe like Mariner or Tom Paris and, you know, Burnham or any other character for that matter. So we, we've seen things with Mariner on Lower Decks where she's constantly being like bumped back to Ensign. Like she used to be like in the same, like along the same time frame as like um, Riker for the most part. Um, like they were kind of buddy buddy, but she should be like maybe a lieutenant commander or something by now, maybe a full commander. Mariner should be. And then we have Burnham, who was a mutineer, and she had her commission completely removed from her and was supposed to be in jail for a very long time. And then we see other stuff that happened recently, um, at least at the time of this recording, when we're having this discussion with Burnham and taking matters into her own hands. So um, there's a lot of places, a lot of directions we can go with that discussion, Eric. So I'm going to kind of just put the ball in your court and wherever you kind of want to maybe start that, go for it. Okay, so if we start with Mariner, because why not? Um, I think because Mariner is on the ship where her mother is the captain, I think that creates a very weird dynamic, which I really think that Starfleet, you know, would, like, want to not have that happen because you have a child that is just... By her personality, she is antagonistic, and you know, if you're antag, you can't antagonize the captain of your ship. But I feel like Mariner loves to antagonize her mother, and so Mariner, I think, is a pretty terrible person. Like, I don't think that there's many redeeming qualities to her um, at all. And she should have been kicked out of Starfleet a long time ago. If not for the fact that her mother is a captain and her dad is an admiral, I think she would have been kicked out of Starfleet a long time ago. But I also think that because that show's na- that show is built as a comedy, I think that's why the character is written that way. Sure. And I just want to add this real quick. Um, what was it? Um, Jordy LaForge's mom she's a captain sylvia laforge i think is her, if i remember is her name um and they had not served together from what i recall um i think for that very reason like to separate these two starfleet officers maybe not because like they're antagonistic but because they're family and when you when you're around family for especially like deep space exploration like the enterprise d was like a lot of Star Trek, or I'm sorry, Starfleet vessels are. Like a lot of Starfleet vessels are doing deep space exploration, whether it's a five-year mission or not. Like you're 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 asking for trouble whenever you bring your family um, into it for that that period of time. So, anyways, just want to add that real quick. Yeah. So, what do you think about Mariner? I just I don't think she's funny. Um, for one. That's just me. I don't think she's funny. Um, And I think somewhere in there, there's a good character for her. I think somewhere in there, there's a good 
officer because we've seen it, right? We've seen her being a good officer. She's had her shining moments. Um, she's not... Her character isn't a complete dumpster fire. I mean, they have there are good moments for Mariner. Uh, I'm, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt on that one. But I think there's more just do whatever the heck I want to do than there is, like, Starfleet obligation. And we were talking about professions earlier, right? Um, whether you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a counselor like I am, or a professor like you are, you know, you're, you're told these are the standards that you are expected to adhere to for the profession, right? But then somewhere along the line, you kind of synthesize what's expected of you with your own style of doing it. And it becomes this beautiful thing in terms of the work that you do. And I think there's been too much focus maybe with Mariner on how I want to do it instead of what maybe Starfleet expects of me. And I don't think that was the case with Tom, like bringing it back to Voyager. I don't think that was the case. I just think with him, it was a, a major lapse of judgment for him. And he got way too invested. He, he let his, his personal stuff get stirred up that caused him to do what he did just to kind of bring it full circle no I think that's a fair point yeah and speaking of people who let things get way too personal there is like I know I know lower decks makes this joke when it jumps into the future it says the most important Starfleet officer of all time or starfleet personnel of all time miles o'brien right makes mm -hmm. that joke mm -hmm. but according to star trek discovery the most important character in starfleet history michael burnham michael burnham gets way too personally invested and makes a lot of poor decisions sure yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so Michael Burnham, she would say, she would tell you that her personal, and I think she probably did at some point, her personal backstory with the Klingons, how they killed her parents, they killed her parents, um, in case you haven't seen Discovery, um, did not affect how she behaved at the Binary Stars. She would tell you that that, that had no bearing on it. But did it, did it not? I don't know. I'm not the expert on people's personal motivations like maybe you are. Um, but sure. she got, I think she made a personal decision based on, on her, her backstory with the Klingons. And she made a significant error in judgment. And she paid the price for it. She was stripped of her rank, which was full commander. And she was sentenced to life in prison for mutiny, which this is a, that's a pretty like steep. I don't know what the the penalty for mutiny is in in like the United States military if that's a life sentence or not, but that seems like a pretty high high penalty. Yeah. If only there was a way we could find out. Yeah, but. But then I guess with Michael Burnham is she spends six months in jail and then Lorca, he orchestrates her, her out of jail 
and then you know she saves the day and this is this is where I guess I have like an issue once you know Burnham saves the day and ends the Klingon war they give her her full rank and commit her full commission and full rank back and they let her out of jail and they expunge her record it to me I think okay they let her out of jail and they expunge her record okay but the giving her her full her commission and her full rank back that part is hard for me to really believe I know you can't like she's your main character and you can't like give her the boot after one season mm-hmm. but that part to me seems a little hard to believe yeah and I think even back to um oh my gosh um Deep Space Nine with Worf like he chooses if I'm remembering the episode right he's choosing to save his wife Jadzia over the mission and completing the mission and doing what he was ordered to do and Cisco has has the conversation with him like this is going to cost you you know the center seat this is going to cost you your fourth pip basically you're you're probably never going to get captain because of this yeah, yeah, that episode's called Change of Heart, mm-hmm. and it's in season five of, no, it's, can't, it's, I think it's in season five, because I don't think they're married yet. Okay. Are they? Maybe, it might be in season six, they might be married, I, I'm, it's definitely called Change of Heart, if only there were a way to figure out when <laughs> this happened, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but you're right, Cisco does say, you know, you know, you made an error in judgment accepting this mission with her in the first place, and you're right. This is like this is something that's going to cost you in the future. And to to go back to like the mutiny thing, like if if like the thing was like fair or not fair in terms of like discovery. So check this out. So uh, um, according to um, I think it's section eight ninety four, article ninety four, mutiny or um, or sedition, a person who's found guilty or attempted mutiny. Mutiny, sedition, or failure to suppress or report a mutiny or sedition shall be punished by death or such other punishment as a court-martial may direct. Oh, okay. So, death sentence. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's pretty <laughs> bad. So, I guess life imprisonment is... is we, know, we know the Federation doesn't have the death penalty. Right. But it, it's, it's essentially the same thing by, by Federation standards. Okay, so I'm looking at Change of Heart. Um, March 4th, 1980, 1998, which is my birthday. My, that would have been my 11th birthday that that episode aired. Hey, hey, hey. Um, and it is season six, episode 16. So they were married. They were married, yep. Yeah. They, so had, they were like newlyweds. Yeah. Because they got married, you know, in season six, episode seven. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was a fun wedding, by the way. The whole <laughs> that, was a that, fun wedding. That's that's uh, the bachelor party that you cannot invite me to, and I'll be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we have to do like a Star Trek nuptials, like a, like do something for like Valentine's Day, and somehow weasel that in or something. I don't know. <laughs> Cupid's arrow. Should we do? Do, do some like Cupid's or, arrow. I'm sorry, not Cupid's arrow. Cupid. You want to do talk about Cupid? <laughs> yeah, we can talk. That's a fun episode. <laughs> I am not. I must protest. I am not a merry man. <sighs> so yeah, like we have one instance, like with Worf, where he's potentially not. I mean, he's a, he's a lieutenant commander, 
right? Um, and he's he. It's probably going to prevent him from becoming a captain with what happened. We have Tom who lost a pip and was in the brig yeah, for and, thirty days. And, and this is this is season five, episode nine. Mm-hmm. This thirty days, and he gets re-promoted to lieutenant JG at the very last episode of season six. So like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. It takes him to get re-promoted. And poor Ensign Harry Kim is sitting over there. In that same episode, he's like, I didn't see a little box on my chair. <laughs> a little funny little meta moment there. Oh, man. Okay, so Michael Burnham, going back to her. So you were talking about um, the Klingon stuff and talking about the mutiny and just the punishment that went along with that. So I don't know if you had finished your thought or not, Eric. No, I fi- I'd finished my thought on the Klingon and the season one issue with Michael Burnham. Right, and so I think that we're, we're seeing like these these command like these commanding officers dole out what they essentially deem as appropriate punishment, appropriate discipline for the actions that have been taken, and. You know, at the end of season one of, of Star Trek Discovery, everyone gets, like, a Medal of Honor. Um, everyone gets the Medal of Honor. Burnham gets her rank back. And all is well with the world. And I think that you can have one or the other. Like, with what you, were, what you brought up, Eric. Like, I think it's... I think, fine. Be a commander again and have your Medal of Honor. But everything's on the record. Or your record's expunged, but instead of being a commander, you're a lieutenant. Or something like that. Or like during season one, she had the rank of specialist, which is like a corporal, mm-hmm. essentially. I don't know what the what the navy equivalent of a corporal is, but it's probably like petty officer or something. Corporal would war, be war, warrant officer, like O two or O th- not not. I mean, E two, right? So, um, in the Navy, that would be a that'd be like a petty officer. That'd be third class, second class, I think. Well, an E two is called a seaman apprentice. Okay. I guess petty officer is a little bit higher than. Yeah. Okay, that, that, but that's fine. Okay, so like, a seaman apprentice um, by Navy standards, cool. Mm-hmm. So she goes from being. Like she's being bumped down to an enlisted rank. Okay, so she loses her commission. Now she's enlisted, and now not only are we promoting her but we're taking her from being an E2 to being now an O5 essentially no, is that right I think that's right O4 O5 yeah yeah you know she full commander is a pretty pretty high rank mm-hmm. it's kind of a big deal yeah <laughs> um, yeah O5 O five 5 would be a commander. There we go. Got it. Ha-ha! Hey, hey, hey. Okay. 
feel like I'm all over the place right now. But yeah, and then no, go ahead. Good, good. I was gonna I was gonna jump ahead to the season three Michael Burnham issue here. Go ahead, that's fine. Okay, so so in season three of of Star Trek Discovery, um, which is at the time of this recording is airing, so if you haven't seen that or if if you're waiting, like like tune out for two minutes. Um, so Michael Burnham is told explicitly, "Hey, you know you can't we you can't go and save Book. Like she wants to go and save Book because." book needs help but book didn't actually ask for help book like specifically said i'm not asking for help i'm just letting you know what i'm doing and she says well i have to go help him and saru says no you can't go and she's like like aghast that mm-hmm. saru would say no to her after all they've been through mm-hmm. but she decides to go anyway and she disobeys orders and at the end of the day, the admiral said the admiral Admiral Vance says to Saru, "You can punish her however you see fit," and all he does is strip her of her first officer position. Like, it doesn't seem like a very big punishment to me. No. And 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 as we see in the very next episode, she really didn't learn anything because you know she, she still like forces the issue in the very next episode and there's the point where Saru looks at her and he's like commander but he might like as I said on our engage he might as well have said bitch what did you just do <laughs> like did you not learn anything <laughs> okay so with, <laughs> with the, the, the the ocean Stuff like the the water world stuff that um, Paris is all crazy and in love with. Uh, we have a, we have a connection to more water stuff and disciplinary stuff, and that is Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Um, I mean, everything that starts essentially in Star Trek: True Wrath of Khan, we see it kind of develop and swell more with Kirk's decision as an admiral to say forget you guys I'm going to get get my dude um bucking authority and he is authority he's just saying it to a higher ranking admiral than him and what ends up happening with Kirk is he gets demoted from being admiral to being a captain again so we we see we see this whole like Kirk Burnham thing, and we also see a Kirk Parrish thing going on. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Well, well, Kirk's demotion is like exactly the thing that he actually wanted. You know, we, we see throughout throughout, you know, Star Trek the motion picture when he's been an admiral and he's been in charge of like Starfleet operations for mm-hmm. two or three years and he like, he, he like oh, oh, there's a mission, there's a dangerous mission, I'm gonna go like take command of the Enterprise. Like, that's exactly what he wants. And then in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, he's, like, all depressed and stuff. There's that, like, sad scene with him and Bones at the beginning of the movie, and he's, like, depressed that he's an admiral and he's not out there in the action. 
And so when he sees the opportunity to jump into it, he's like, oh, yeah, like this is what I want. And and we see in Star Trek Generations, which after this, you know, he tells he tells Picard, don't let them do anything to take you off the bridge of that ship. Like, so when they demoted Kirk, right, I think they had to because if an admiral is like disobeying orders, that's that's a pretty big thing. I know even though, like, admirals can do what they want. No, they really can't. So they had to do something. But, like, they gave him command of a ship, which is really the only thing he ever wanted and the only thing he was happy doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just... I just think about how we see the different types of discipline. And I, and I realize that this is called 30 days, like on the name of this episode um, that we're talking about the episode in Star Trek Voyager. But it just, I don't know if it's a writing thing or, or what it is, but there's just this, um, maybe it's inconsistency across of like, does the, punishment fit the crime uh, for for all the things so I mean I was this I mean watching the episode again you know preparing for for this show I was thinking like dang like Paris and Burnham like they did a lot of the same things you know in this episode and compared to like what Michael Burnham has done in her history and like which which punishment is is really suits the crime is it the one that tom experienced or the one that that michael burnham experienced you know what do you think well i would say if if we focus on the michael burnham in season 3 the scavengers episode and we we focus on that and forget about the the klingon thing in her past um I think there's a big difference in what Michael Burnham does and why it's more serious than what Tom Paris is. I think they're both serious and they both make big errors in judgment. Like, Tom Paris is essentially violating the Prime Directive here, which, mm-hmm. like, violating the Prime Directive is a, is a big thing. He's interfering with the internal, you know, dynamics of a sovereign entity. So, that's, that's pretty big. But he does it... He, he feels like he's doing it to try and save people, right? He, he has this, like, this, like, pure motivation, I think. And, and I don't think he's being selfless in this instant. I don't think he's thinking about what he wants. I really do think he's saying, by me taking these actions, I'm going to help people. And, and I feel like Michael Burnham's actions are selfish. Okay. You know? Michael Burnham is the first officer of this of the discovery and in the situation we're in in the 32nd century with discovery discovery with this spore drive and with the lack of warp drive is the first response vehicle right the discovery is basically on alert on standby and saying at a moment's notice we have to go and take care of this problem Mm-hmm. And and we see that there's this situation developing that Admiral Vance says, hey, 
you need to be ready, Discovery, in the, any time in the next 12 hours, I might have to send you to go into this high-pressure situation. And Michael Burnham says, I don't care about that. That's not important to me. What's important to me is my relationship with Book. And and she's she's leaving her her the rest of her crew who she's the first officer. She's supposed to be responsible for these people's lives. And she's right. saying, "I don't care about you. I'm a I'm disobeying orders and abandoning my post right now when when you need me." Right. And that's very selfish. And I think that's a that's a bigger that's that's bigger in my opinion than what Tom Paris does cuz cuz he's he says I'm doing this to help people. Burnham is saying, "Well, I'm being selfish." Mhm. There's a um I know you you kind of put me on the spot sometimes with like um, especially the conversations that we have with um Engage like with Detmer and and folks like that. There's a there's a principle that we have in um in the helping profession. Um you know, with me being me being a professional counselor is this idea of no dual relationships. Um, no dual relationships, meaning um, I am forming a professional relationship with you. So the extent of our relationship is only in this this therapy room, whether it's virtual or like a brick and mortar type of thing. Now, if I see you like at, you know, Kroger or, or a baseball game or whatever, you know, and you see me, you're welcome to come up and say, hey, and I'll be friendly with you. But if I see you at the same grocery store, you know, picking up a loaf of bread or at a an ice hockey game, I'm not going to come up to you, okay, for anonymity and confidentiality reasons, and to re- and to have that boundary in place. Like our relationship is not something that exists in the public square, and and that seems appropriate, hundred percent, and the other part of of it being like an anonymity and confidentiality piece is it allows me and other me's to be objective in the work that we do. And that was one thing that was coming to mind. I mean, you know, bringing it back to, to Voyager. Okay. Bringing it back to the episode 30 days. I don't know to what extent it was like for the character of Tom Paris, but I was seeing this dual relationship type of thing kind of playing out uh, with his character of he's not remaining objective. He's getting too in the weeds. He's getting too involved with this person, um, with this client, like I would call, you know, he's getting too involved with with the client that he's being charged to work with. And that's an issue when you when you cross over that line you're losing your objectivity you're losing your ability to do really good work um, because then you're you're just too partnered with them you're, you're just you're just there's just too much going on so okay so I would I would I, I understand that argument exactly that he he is involved and he's letting his personal feelings get involved I'll counter this argument by going to Star Trek insurrection the movie mm-hmm do you think Picard had that same thing happen with the Baku because of this this woman that he was absolutely like drawn to? Did he let himself get too personally involved and that's why he made the decision to go against Starfleet and the Admirals? 
or did he just do it because he felt like that was the duty, his the duty and the right thing to do? I think it's a both. I think I think it's it's it can legitimately be a both type of thing. Um, you can a hundred percent be on board with doing something because of this attractive woman played by Donna Murphy. You know, like it's very real. Like when when you know a person and you're in a relationship with that person it's going to give you a different perspective, but at the same time, like with his responsibilities as a captain, he's very well versed in like diplomacy and like the prime directive and all the orders that go along with it. So it's, I think it's a both. Um, now do I think it's a, a 51 49 split? Sure. But I don't know which way that's going to go, uh, for Picard when it comes to an insurrection. Um, and, and that's the thing, like without, without focusing too much on like social justice and advocacy, I mean, that's the thing about social justice and advocacy though, is that you're, you're looking at it from how can I make things better for people that might not be able to make things better for themselves. And I think you have to really, really watch the line that you're, you're walking. Uh, whenever you start to do that kind of stuff. So great question though. That's a, that's a great thing to, to talk about. It just popped in my head when I was listening to you talk and I was like, that is totally the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good how when you get those like big light bulbs. Yeah. Yeah, man, we keep bringing up insurrection. We need to do an episode on insurrection for crying out loud. It's a, it's a solid movie. I like it. Like, I'm, I'm liking Insurrection more and more. The more I talk about I it, the more I watch it, the more I like it. I don't. Under, I don't understand the hate. I was in that camp for a long time, but I'm at the point now. I'm like, I can't hate this movie. I just can't hate this movie. So, all right. There's a lot going in here. There's a lot that we could probably still talk about with, um, with the episode right like with what happens but it's it's pretty basic like it's a pretty basic like prime directive type of episode with a little bit of discipline thrown in for good measure and then yeah yeah it's a, it's it's a really like solid star trek story like if you're going to ask people hey what is Star Trek about? How can I understand what Star Trek is about? Mm-hmm. I think this is a good... I'm not going to say this is the best episode to show somebody to like really get at the heart of what Star Trek is, but it's it's a really good episode to show people, hey, th- if you want to understand Star Trek, watch this episode because you've got first the exploration and the science, mm-hmm. and then you've got you know this, this prime directive like you know, question and this tug and pull. And then you've got like this. It's also very allegorical or metaphorical, whichever, I don't know, whatever the right word is, because, you know, Star Trek loves to do this, loves to put its they really metaphors do. and, 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 and science fiction in general. I think this is like the point of science fiction is that you can, you can cr- look at our own world and the problems that we have in our own world in in a contrived way that you maybe can't look at it and this is totally like pollution and global warming and and the pitfalls because this is this is late 90s this is al gore as the vice president you know with his climate change so this is this is totally like this this 
allegory, metaphor, whatever of of pollution and global warming, and and it's just a great Star Trek. It's it's a really solid Star Trek story. Yeah. In that in that episodic format, right, where you just go to a new planet, and it's not always about the main character, but you get this ensemble. Yeah, and I mean each person had a part to play i mean some a little bit more than others but when we saw we saw janeway saw chakotay neelix tuvok i mean we see all of them right we balana harry kim yeah seven or nine in fact we actually saw for the first and last time the delaney twins yep the delaney sisters the only appearance they ever make despite being mentioned several times and they're right there in this Bride of Chaotica, like pulp action adventure thing that that uh, Paris and Kim love to do together. So we yeah. finally got to see them. And fun fact: in the deleted scenes, they actually have them in uniform, not just the the pulp outfits that they were wearing. So Demonica, okay, I think, was cool. was one of them. Yeah. Um, I Melicia or Melicia and um, Demonica. So great pulp character names. Yeah, yeah and, and, and you know, we get this running gag throughout the show of Harry Kim falls for the wrong woman. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, they're twins. They're the same. He's like, they're nothing alike. I like this one, but she won't give me the time of the day, but the other one likes me. <laughs> You know, like little moments like that yeah. that like play through the show of Voyager that make it fun. Yeah. And this is a Voyager is a great, great Star Trek show to watch. Every every Star Trek show is good in their own right. Okay, let me just say that. And I know Star Trek was, or Voyager was really your your entry point. Um, like we you've talked about the, your your Star Trek origin story. Like you watched you know, arena with your dad, but you never missed an episode with, with Voyager. But then Deep Space Nine was has been your, your true love when it comes to Star Trek. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and I think um, you know, there's this this theory that like Star Trek is never good in the beginning. That which I which I push back on. And I think like I've said before, Voyager has I think has a very strong first season. But it definitely does get better as it goes along. And this episode is in season five, which I think is probably the best season of Star Trek Voyager. I mean, I'm just looking down this list of episodes in season five. You've got Night, which where they're trapped in that that starless void. Um, Drone, which is where you get like the the 29th century Borg because of like the uh, the mobile emitter. It's got the episode where we introduce the Delta Flyer. You know, it's got Timeless, which is the best episode of Voyager, in my opinion. You know, 30 Days. It's got the very next episode after this is Counterpoint, which, you know, sometime, Chase, you'll have to explain the counterpoint of the music to me when we talk about the music of Star Trek. You'll have to really explain that to me. I mean, Bride of Chaotica. You've got (laughs) the two-part episode, Dark Frontier, which is where we get the flashbacks to Seven of Nine's parents. This is... And then, like think tank and juggernaut and we get relativity which is where the, the last time we see captain braxton and then it all culminates in this equinox part one i'm just looking down this list and like 
man, there's a lot of good episodes in season five here. For sure. And so, like, Voyager is, like, really peaking, I think, at this point in season five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at this, too, and I'm remembering, like, for whatever reason, Think Tank always messes with my head. Yeah, you could, well, because you have, um... Jason Alexander, you yeah. know, from, from Seinfeld showing yeah. up as, like, this serious, like, like manipulative character that you're like, really? The Seinfeld guy? Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. There's, a, yeah, I, I'm looking at him, too, and um, I was going to say, like, Equinox, man. Equinox, Relativity, some of my favorite episodes from season five. You know. For sure. Course, Obliv- Course Oblivion, a, uh, I skipped yeah. over that one. Like, and, like, it, like, there's so many good episodes in this. Bliss. Bliss. That's the one where that, like, like alien, like, like, creature makes them all think they're going to get home. There's a, there's a couple. Of, that's a good episode. Latent Image is still, is in season five, too, where the doctor has, like, an ethical breakdown. Yeah. I remember that one. Oh, man. Go watch some Star Trek Voyager, y'all. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Go watch Voyager. All right. I know what we normally do this for Engage. Um, and it's it's a staple of Engage where we, we rate the episode. So um, just for funsies, Eric, how would you rate 30 days? So like on Engage, for anyone that hasn't listened to an Engage episode... We, we typically do a 1 to 10 rating, 1 being a dumpster fire, 10 being absolutely amazing. Well, if you look on IMDb, it's got a 7.3, mm-hmm. which I think is is pretty fair, right? Um, I would probably go a little higher. I think um, 7.5, 7.6, 7.7, in that range. I think it's just a – it's not a great episode. It's not going to blow you away. But it's just a really, really solid episode. And and I, I say this on Engage when I give some of my ratings sometimes. I say, this is a solid episode, but in five years' time, if I want to go back and watch one episode, I'm probably not going to watch this episode. But, like, this is an episode, 30 days, where if I've got an hour's time to kill, and I'm just like, I'm going to watch one episode of Star Trek in this hour I have to kill, and I'm just like flipping through like the listing on Netflix or Amazon Prime or wherever I'm watching it and I come across this episode I'm like yeah I'll watch that one and yeah. I'll turn it on yeah and I think I think that's the sign of a good episode if you, if you like if you want to watch it again it's, it might not be an episode that I actively seek out to watch mm-hmm. like a tapestry or or a best of both worlds or, or an equinox or something like that mm-hmm. but it's an episode that if I see it I'm not just going to skip right over it. I'm like, oh, let's watch that. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's... Um, to me, like it's, it's a good sign whenever I'm not looking to see how long I've been watching the episode. Right? And I'm like, holy cow. The episode's already over? Like, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, it, it's, it's got a quick pace, this episode. It does. It does. So for me, like, I give this a little bit of a higher rating. I mean, like, it's it's like a seven, 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 eight for me. Like, I really like this episode. And I like the fact that it's got, like, a little bit of a, like, some shock value. Especially the first time that you watch it, you're like, whoa. Like, the opening, like, 
whoa, demotion on screen. What the what? And I can, I mean, I can remember the first time I watched this. Because like, like I said a year ago, whenever Eric and I first started talking again about Star Trek, brother man, you know, that I'm talking to right now, let me borrow his, his Voyager stuff. And I binged the, the heck out of that crap on my PC, yeah. in my apartment, at my dad's place, right? Um, like, I would be staying up to like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning watching Voyager. And I got to this part and I was like, oh my god. Like, I was just like... Yeah. Like th there's no way this is happening, no, there's no way, and and the fact that it wasn't just like a one and done, like oh yeah, he's a lieutenant, you know, JG again the next episode, like it was a while before he got his promotion back, like we we said earlier. So yeah, I like I like this. I mean, there's a lot of good Star Trek. I think that's it's pretty well balanced in terms of like the science. Like you can like Star Trek and maybe not care too much about the science, but it still needs to be there. And I think this has like it has the science, the the te the the tech stuff. It's got the ensemble. It's got the action. It's got the political intrigue. It's got like the the star the Starfleet, you know, values that are put on um, on display. So this is a really good episode, and this is definitely an episode that I enjoy watching time and time again. Um, but like Eric said, like even though like I might give it like the right the rating that I, I do. It's not the one that I'm going to watch like every single time, like a Times Arrow is for me. Times Arrow is like one of my favorite two-parters to watch. And I know like that's a very divisive episode for fans of Star Trek, but I love Times Arrow. That's a that's a that's that is so much fun. I don't know how you could not have fun watching Times Arrow. I I, I mean, if I have a choice of watching you, a two-parter, that's going to always be like in the top three for me. Honestly, like I will almost always watch Times Arrow um, if I have a chance. If I okay. but but anyways. Anyways, great story. Great story, and um, I will watch it again. I mean, obviously we're doing an episode on it it's because I wanted to talk about it and how it maybe connects to the ways that we think about about discipline and what it means to be a Starfleet officer, not just in Voyager, but throughout the Star Trek uh, continuum, so to speak. So um, any, any loose ends that you want to tie up or anything you want to add on to even that, Eric? Uh, I don't think so. I think I think we've we've talked about this episode. Uh, I would just say go watch it if you haven't seen it. If you've listened to this podcast and you have not seen this episode, I, I feel like you know obviously we we've spoiled it, but I still think you know even knowing what happened, it's it's about seeing it and and experiencing the ride. And go watch this episode if you haven't. Yeah. Even if you have, go go watch it again. Yeah. And maybe watching this gives you a new appreciation, a deeper appreciation for the way things occur um, throughout the different shows in terms of like what's expected of a Starfleet officer. Um, whether we're looking at this through the lens of like looking back, you know, towards the original series and next gen, even Deep Space Nine, or we're, you know, looking ahead by looking back, you know, with Voyager, or not Voyager, I'm sorry, um, Enterprise and, you know, Picard and Discovery and Lower Decks. So please go watch this, um, this episode if you haven't already. And um, of course, let us know what you think. Um, we have um, 
some more content coming your way, of course, with Engage um, as we continue to pump this stuff out. Uh, we still we have like, gosh, four or five some odd episodes left of of uh, Star Trek Discovery three uh, season three at the time of this recording. Um, Eric and I are going to be doing some um, definitive Kirk um, here in the near future. So um, kind of like we did with Best of Picard um, back in the day, preparing for for Picard season one. We're going to do something kind of in the same vein, uh, maybe like top ten ish. Um, you know, adventures, whether it's just the show or, or just the movies. Um, of our favorite space cowboy. Yeah, man. Uh, that'll be coming um, coming pretty pretty soon, soonish. So uh, keep a lookout for that. But um, anyways, Eric, thank you for joining me for this adventure um, as we've talked about 30 days uh, from Star Trek Discovery. I'm sorry, Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Voyager. Season five. We've been talking a lot about Discovery. I'm sorry. Tongue tied. Hey, Voy- Voyager Discovery, right? You title you title your show and your ship Voyager Discovery. You know they're similar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you were gonna like slap me through the internet for calling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyways. Guys and gals, what did y'all think? Um, if you have seen this, you know, is this one of your favorites? This is if this is in your top five of Voyager, is it not? Is it? I mean, I don't know. What do you think of this episode? Uh, we'd love to hear what you think. So maybe leave a note, leave a comment um, in our Facebook group. Uh, we are on all the socials at TRTV Pod. Uh, you can check us out at TRTVPod.com to um, learn more about us, to connect with us, and see how you can maybe get more involved with the show. Um, of course, if you want to uh, reach out to us besides you know, the Hailing Frequencies page on our website, you can also do that by sending us um, an email to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute mem- three time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of These Are the Voyages. Now, finally, if you do want to um, send us a pad you know, that you're writing to your admiral of a dad while you're in jail or while we're in jail in the brig. I don't know. You can do that. Make sure it gets to us. It's at the Lone Star Station P.O. Box 2455 Azel, Texas 76098. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us on this voyage today um, under the sea. And, uh, you know, we want to be where the people are. And uh, that's with you. So um, with that, as we leave here today, may you always remember to boldly go and make it so.